Hello everyone, my name is Lauren. And I'm Cooper. And we're the Thrive Initiative. We host meaningful discussions with professionals in the fields of mental health and neuroscience. We hope to spark conversations surrounding mental health, provide teenagers with resources and self-care tools, and inspire a generation of mental health advocates. Welcome to our podcast. Just a quick reminder that the information included in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional care. If you feel that you need more assistance or support, please check out thriveinitiative.org for resources and referrals. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Thrive Podcast. We are so happy to have you here with us. Today, we are joined by Dr. Karen Natterson, a pediatrician, consultant, and New York Times bestselling author of puberty and parenting books. In 2020, she launched Umla, a company dedicated to making puberty more comfortable physically through their bras, as well as through their puberty portal and puberty podcast, places in which parents and adolescents can seek information about puberty. We are so excited to get into this conversation about all things going back to school in person, while also, you know, keeping in mind our, our mental health. Getting right into things, um, most of us have been back in school in person for a couple of weeks now. I know Cooper and I have, and we're attempting to adjust to our new schedules. Um, nevertheless, I still feel like I'm searching for a sense of stability in this new normal. Um, And I was wondering how you recommend we find this as teens and strike a balance between school and work life, extracurriculars, social life, family life, as well as still practicing self-care without being so overwhelmed. I'm glad you started with a really easy, small question, Lauren. That's super. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's a really important question, even if it's massive. So um, I guess I'll start here and say that even before COVID, finding balance was really, really hard. Um, It's a challenge for all humans, but particularly for teenagers who are in the process of managing school. And for some people, that means excelling at school. And for some people, it means surviving school, right? It's different for different folks. And then also trying to figure out what lights your fire? What are your passions? What do you want to spend your time doing? Um, you know, are you an athlete? Are you an activist? Are you an artist? Are you all of those things? And then finding balance there. And then you layer on all the friend stuff, right? So how are you managing your relationships, your relationships with your friends, your relationships with your family, meeting new people, expanding your horizons, reassessing relationships that maybe aren't as ideal or as healthy as you might want right? The whole romance life comes in for teenagers. So there's that piece of relationships and letting yourself feel vulnerable and sort of one person being at one place and another person being in another place. So they're just, I mean, before COVID we had so much to manage and then you layer on that there was a pandemic and you all were told to stay in your room and to not engage in real life with other people your age and to balance and manage all of these things on your own isolated. 
And that was a really big ask. And it was a really big ask for anyone, but I think it was particularly big ask for adolescents whose job it is, is to individuate. It is their job to say to their parents, I love you, but I'm out of here. I really want my own independent experiences and I want to be with my friends in a separate space. And you couldn't do that. And so here you are coming back. And as you've described, you're back to school. It's been a couple of weeks and you're supposed to remember how to flex all those muscles that you used to flex all the time and balance everything as if nothing happened. You got to get your schoolwork is the same as it was before pandemic, your, that extracurricular balance, all the friend drama, all the relationship stuff. So that's why I think it's such a big question that you're asking, because it's a really big ask. And I think the very first thing that kids and the adults who are helping raise them can do is simply acknowledge that this is happening. So just asking the question is the first step. How do I do this? And it's been a funny time, depending upon where people are listening from. Some of them went to school last year. Some of them went to school partially last year. Some of them had a normal summer, like COVID didn't exist. So for those people, this reentry process doesn't feel so new. But there are also people who are back to school being told, go home and quarantine. Or they're back to real life, and then the rules keep shifting every week. And so... I would say another piece to this puzzle is how do you manage balancing your new world order when the rules may change 20 more times before we get back to totally normal? So acknowledging where we are and just going, okay, this is the new normal is the first step. And then the second step, most important step, I think in anything we do as humans, but certainly through adolescence and puberty is to talk about it and find your trusted resources and just start talking, which is what you guys do a really great job of. Thank you. And I think that was a really great question to start off with. And like you said, a big one that I think is going, it's going to be the overarching theme of this whole episode because it's not really a one and done question. And I, I definitely feel this sense of going back to school and there's this lack of acknowledgement of all that we've been through. It's just like, okay, back to business. That was nice. Let's just go right back ahead. And I found myself just exhausted, a little confused um, and just trying to figure out that balance again, because it is a completely different environment. And I kind of wanted to shift towards sleep. Because I know that sleep schedules have changed, again, dramatically since the return to in-person school. Um, Before, during the pandemic, I was able to sleep in, um, spent a lot of time at home. And now it's like I'm trying to balance everything and sleep has kind of taken the back burner. Um, So how can teens establish a sleep routine throughout the week? And how should this relate to how they sleep on the weekend? Because I've been finding... When I have the time on the weekend, I'm so tempted to just sleep until, you know, 11 or 12 um, because I'm so exhausted. Okay. So before I answer how to do it, I have to remind people or teach people why sleep is so important. Um, Because if you're a teenager who is trying to figure out the answer to how much sleep do I need and how do I get it? 
it really makes a big difference if you understand why you need it. So there are a few things that happen when you're asleep. The first thing that happens is you grow. So if you have any more growth left in you, you will grow when you're asleep, not when you're in bed, when you're in deep sleep. That's when growth hormone starts releasing itself from your brain in these pulsatile waves. And that's what tells your bones to eke out another few inches or inch or half an inch. So that's a big motivator for a lot of kids. The second thing that happens when you sleep is it resets your mood. We have all been there bad night sleep or too little sleep. And we wake up and we are beyond grumpy. And that's because our mood has not had a chance to reset. The third thing that happens when you sleep, and this is one that I think is really, really important in terms of study habits and study skills, you file long-term memories. So what you do is you take the information from the day and you decide, am I going to save it or am I going to toss it? And that reorganization within your brain only happens when you're in deep sleep. And that's true for adults and kids, which is why we all need sleep. Okay. It's also why if you've got a huge test in the morning, believe me, when I tell you, you will do better if you go to bed, cramming the information and staying up then makes forces you to skip that long-term memory storage. So you can't really retrieve the information very well the next day. And everyone's experienced that. The last thing that happens with sleep, and this thing is a little less appreciated, less well-known, but I think it's really important for kids to understand and adults is that your metabolism resets. So you have these two hormones in your body. One is called leptin and one is called ghrelin, and they're like a seesaw. And when you're awake, one goes up and one goes down and slowly the one that goes up goes higher and the one that goes down goes lower. And then when you sleep, they reverse and the one that was high goes low and the one that was low goes high. And it's when they hit a certain balance that your body is capable of essentially trusting you that it can burn through its energy the next day. So what happens is you have to have a certain ratio of leptin to ghrelin in order to burn through the food that you eat the next day and use it for really good energy. If you don't have that balance in place, your body goes, okay, no biggie. I'm just going to store it as fat because I don't trust that you're going to give me enough sleep. And I need to save this energy, these calories for future burn. And so when you look at all sorts of weight issues that people in this country deal with, one of the drivers of that is not sleeping enough, it turns out, which is an amazing, amazing thing that a lot of people don't know. So those are all the reasons to sleep. Okay. Um, and I could give you 20 more, but those are the biggies. Now, how do you get the sleep, right? So you are right, Cooper, that when people first retreated to their rooms in the pandemic, they slept in. They also stayed up really late, by the way. Um, all the schedules were totally off, but the net amount of sleep was much higher. And when schools either went online or hybrid, kids got into a habit where they would maybe go to bed a little later than they would on a normal school schedule but they would sleep an extra hour, hour and a half because they didn't have to get up and get dressed and eat and all these things, right? They would roll out of bed and jump online. And so there was a real benefit because kids actually got more sleep, but it wasn't necessarily at the right times. You know, people were staying up really late and it wasn't necessarily the healthiest way to fall asleep because a lot of people were on their devices until all hours of the night. 
So how do you adjust back into a schedule that requires you to get up at six or six 30 in the morning in order to make it to school on time? Well, the first thing you can do is go back to old habits. So if you have devices, a laptop, a phone, an iPad, I don't care what it is, get it out of your room, store those things and charge those things in a space. That's not your sleep space. And the reason why is that when you see them, you are tempted to be on them. And if you, even if they're on vibrate or do not disturb as notifications pop in passively, your body responds to it. And there are studies that show that kids who sleep with phones in their room, even off do not sleep as well or as deeply as kids who sleep without phones in their room. And everyone who tells me, well, my alarm clock is attached to my phone. I say, there's this incredible thing called a battery operated alarm clock that you too could buy for $5. (laughs) So go get one. And then your phone can be out of your room. And it's a really good solution. The next thing to do is to create a schedule. So most teenagers really need between nine and 10 hours of sleep a night. Some people are bigger sleepers than that and they need more. And some people will never sleep nine hours. They're lucky if they can get eight hours. It doesn't matter what time they go to bed, but the average teenager needs between nine and 10 hours of sleep. The average adult, by the way, needs eight to nine. So your parents aren't getting the sleep they need either. But in order to get your nine to 10, you want to make a schedule that sets a goal for what time you need to go to bed in order to achieve that for kids who have stress. Do not stress about this because there is no benefit to racing to get into bed at a certain time and then just lay there and think about all the things you're not doing because you wanted to get to bed on time. So if you have one of those brains that doesn't wind down very easily, you need to address that by figuring out the rest of your schedule too. And it might mean getting your homework done earlier in the day so that your social downtime can be before bed and you don't have to be trying to cram everything in before a certain time. That's one good strategy. The other thing is just to ritualize bedtime. So for some people it's, I take a shower, I brush my teeth, I you know read a junkie magazine or a book for 10 minutes and then I go to bed. And if that's your ritual and that's how you've taught your body to wind down, it's a really great way of cueing yourself that it's time for sleep. If your ritual involves being on a screen, I'd probably try to change your ritual. Okay. If your ritual doesn't involve any wind down activities, try it, try showering or taking a bath, try drinking some water. Some people swear by warm milk or hot water with lemon and honey. Um, Try meditating. Meditation is huge for teenagers and you can use any number of meditation apps and just five minutes of meditation to wind down your brain. Those are all such great suggestions. Thank you. Um, And something that I've heard a lot of recently um, among my peers is, you know, going to bed a bit earlier and then waking up a lot earlier to finish any work that they didn't complete the night before or to finish studying. And I was wondering if you see any benefit to doing that, because I always ask myself, what, you know, why are people doing that? Why wouldn't you just do it the night before and sleep later? Are there any reasons as to why we should be making the switch or do you just say, forget it? Yeah. You know, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are morning people and there are night owls and your internal clock and your internal chemistry is going to be unique to you. The thing about being a morning person, and I happen to be a huge morning person. And one of my two teenagers is a huge morning person. 
the thing about being a morning person is you're tending to shut off the world at a point where everyone else is connecting and communicating. And sometimes that can feel a little alienating. So if you want to go to bed, you know, my son who's 16, who's an athlete wants to be asleep at nine 30. That is his clock. That is, he is tired by nine 30, but that's when all of his friends are starting to hang out and have their social downtime and talk to each other. And so for him, sometimes it's a struggle to find that balance because chemically he's tired and wants to go to bed. He also is an early riser at six in the morning. He's like, I am good to go. And if he has extra homework, he's really up for doing it. His sister is his exact opposite. Her best, most productive time is late, late, late in the night. And she then gets to have her little social time. And she also says the house is quiet and I can actually get my stuff done at that time. But she is a serious pill in the morning. I love her, but she is not a morning person. And so your own body chemistry will determine which way you go. And I suggest that you start to cue into it and you honor it. One little detail about teenagers is that in general, melatonin levels, melatonin is a hormone, hormone that tells your brain it's time for sleep. Melatonin levels start to peak about an hour or two before you really get tired. And in teenagers, melatonin levels peak later. So a lot of teenagers, I'd say the vast majority of teenagers are actually not tired at the time that they would need to go to sleep in order to get that nine to 10 hours of sleep a night. And you guys are both nodding your heads a lot. And my guess is you have experienced this. So it's not your fault. You want to intellectually, you want to go to bed at 10 o'clock at night, you get into bed and you're wide awake. And that is because of how your melatonin cycles. And so my son is an outlier. He, his experience is really not that typical because most teenagers, they are really, truly not tired until about 11, 1130 at night, which is why the state of California starting next year is mandating that the earliest time a high school can begin is 830 AM. I, I guess because our bodies aren't tired at that point, we should be making a conscious effort to start to tire them out by, through these rituals rather than, you know, exercising late at night or doing things that kind of wake us up, um, keep our bodies energized at that time? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I get that a lot about, should I exercise at night? Um, there are a lot of kids who really want to exercise and move, and there hasn't been another time during the day to do it, but for sure, we know that a good workout wakes you up. And mm -hmm. so I would try to avoid doing an intense workout before bed. If you can, the other thing is you don't have to be asleep to begin to wind down your brain. And especially if you're one of those people that has a very noisy brain where you get into bed and you're processing everything that happened during the day and you're rethinking, I know I recognize that brain too, because I may have it uh, still at my age, I still do it. So I build in some time to wind down my brain before queuing for sleep. And one of the best ways for me is distraction. And that method of distraction is reading. So I will read just five or 10 pages of a book that has nothing to do with anything that I'm working on during the day that quiets my brain because I'm not focused on what happened during my day. And then I'm able to kind of cue myself, Oh, it's okay to 
unfocus from the day and go to sleep. But it's, um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Mm -hmm. I definitely have that brain as well. And I found I kind of have to do the same thing. First, I journal everything that's kind of swirling through my mind, get it kind of out on paper. And then I read a book after and that really works for me to kind of quiet everything that's happening up there and kind of unwind for sleep. I second that. Um, I, so I know sleep is one way in which we do this, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on how we as teens need to be fueling our minds. Um, and I find that I'm often going through the motions without feeling fully present. And I, I do want to be fully engaged and functioning to my full potential. Um, so what actions, you know, other than sleeping, can we practice to be, you know, fully engaged and present, maybe not at all times, but more so than we are now? And how does this connect to our mental health? Yeah. So I've written a lot of books about puberty and they all have humongous sections that cover exercise, nutrition, sleep, and hygiene which are the four basic principles of healthy living. And in there, I include meditation and mindfulness, which is a different form of exercise. To me, it's mental exercise. But those four principles become the guiding principles of how to live a healthy life and how to take care of not just your body, but your brain. So exercise, we've talked a little bit about. Most people um, love the feeling of moving and exercising and working out. Um, if you don't find a way to learn to love it, because it's really, really important to move and, and, you know, yes, taking walks is great. And yes, doing leisurely activities is great, but getting your heart rate up for, you know, 30 to 60 minutes a day makes a really, really big difference in terms of your physical and mental health. Um, you don't have to run a marathon every day. You don't have to overachieve on exercise, but getting some exercise every day makes a big difference. Nutrition is another huge one. We know that how we eat impacts how we feel emotionally. So there are lots of layers to that. So some, some of it, what we're eating, the nutritional quality of what we're eating. If we're eating foods that look like they appear in nature, whole foods, that's much better for us than heavily processed foods, processed foods being kind of anything that's shelf stable and comes in a package and can, you know, be in your pantry for a year, no matter how, how organically it's labeled, it's still a highly processed food and it's still harder for your body to metabolize. And so we know that if you eat an apple and some peanut butter or, you know, some yogurt, you're going to feel nourished in a different way than if you eat a protein bar. And I'm not dishing on protein bars. I'm just suggesting that your body is better capable of metabolizing the whole foods than the heavily processed foods. And that translates into how we feel, because if our body can maximize pulling energy out of more whole foods, then we have access to that energy and that energy can be used not just to move, but also to think and to feel better. So that's exercise and nutrition in the nutrition, um, sort of arena is, um, what you hydrate with, by the way, and really water and staying really well hydrated with water makes a very big difference. Um, I don't know if you've ever gotten dehydrated. Um, your mood is crummy. If you get dehydrated, you feel mm -hmm. bad. And so 
um, just being mindful about that, carrying around a water bottle, when you pass the kitchen sink, grabbing a glass of water, filling up, drinking it. Um, if your pee is pretty clear, you're doing a great job. If your pee is dark yellow, go get some water. I mean, these are really easy tips, but they really impact your mental health as much as your physical health. Um, sleep we've talked about hygiene is everything you do to keep your body clean and healthy. So it's everything from brushing your teeth and flossing, and you should all be flossing once a day. And if no one ever told you this, the best way to have good smelling breath is to floss. Okay. You can brush all you want, but if you don't take the garbage out from between your teeth, it smells like old trash. So yes. floss, um, bathing and showering, you know, younger teens and tweens, I teach them that the water doesn't do it. It's the soap. How does this impact mental health? I'll tell you, if you don't know that you smell and no one in your home tells you because they're trying to be kind, and then you go back to school because we're not zoom schooling anymore. There is a real risk for bullying or social unkindness because you smell and kids are not always kind and the impact, the mental health impact of that. If someone had just told you, Hey, when you shower, use soap, like really use soap and that that thing will impact your mental wellness. You would not believe it. But when I connect the dots this way, it's like, Oh yeah, it's a no brainer. And um, so hygiene becomes really, really important. Another mental health driver is acne. So acne is super common in the teenage years. It's because the hormones that are released from the adrenal gland, those are the hormones that make you grow more hair all over your body. And they're the hormones that make you sweat more. They also cause certain glands to secrete more oil. And when you get so much oil in those glands, those glands can get clogged and that's the beginning of a zit. Okay. Acne is hugely impactful on mental health. I can't underestimate. It doesn't matter if you have one pimple or a thousand pimples, it feels to the person with the pimple, like the whole world, that's all they're seeing is the pimple. And that changes the way people behave around their friends. And it changes the way people are willing to put themselves out socially. And so learning how to take good care of your skin. And by the way, acne, there's not much you can do other than good face washing, using a moisturizer, using clean products and drinking a lot of water, which makes a really big difference. But those hygiene pieces really do change people's social experiences and their mental health. So it's, this is all connected. Thank you for breaking all of those down for us. Um, so something I've been grappling with as I've gone back to in-person school is balancing my relationship with my family, relationship with my friends. Um, and I'm noticing, you know, now that I'm back in school, I'm pretty much spending my time 50-50 at school and home. I leave my house around 6.37, get back around 6 p.m., and I've definitely been experiencing some guilt um, for spending less time with my family, having to turn my family down for social plans now that I can go out and see friends safely. Um, I was just wondering, how can teens maintain both of these relationships and find this balance now that we're not just fully restricted to being at home in our rooms all the time? So I can say as the mom of two teenagers that your parents want you to reestablish those social relationships and to go out and to be connected with people. 
if there are any parents out there who don't feel that way, they need to go talk to someone about how to get good with that. <laughs> because we had a bonus year and a half where our kids were locked inside and we got to hang with them all the time. Uh, by the way, we were never going to get that with our teenagers. And it was very fun and lucky for mo- many of us. Some In some houses, it was really hard, but in most houses, it was really considered a gift, right? But we all know that if we have teenage children, it is their job to individuate, to start to separate from us. And we all want that for our kids. And it's hard because parents aren't always great about articulating that. I love hanging out with my kids. So sometimes when they have plans all the time, I will say, oh, I kind of miss you. But I don't want them to misinterpret that as me not being happy that they're going out and reconnecting with people. And I think I speak for almost all parents when I say we are thrilled for you to be reconnecting. The guilt that you might feel, I would flip that emotion from guilt, which is kind of a negative emotion to, I'd call it more sort of an appreciation. Like, Hey, I was kind of fun hanging out with my family. We got to know each other pretty well. And yeah, there were tricky times, but we created these traditions, whatever they were. And we would do these things during the pandemic that were really fun. And I miss a little bit, right? So that's an appreciation rather than a guilt. And you can still have that with your family. And frankly, you can still tell your family that, hey, I loved it when we would, like in my family, we got really into the crossword puzzle and, you know, we don't do it anymore because pandemic is, has shifted a lot, but every once in a while, someone in our family will pull out a crossword and we're like, oh, that's so fun. And we'll take 10 minutes or 15 minutes and do part of it. And then, and then we're good. We've had our fix. And so that's how I would do it. I would find the balance that way. But my advice to you as a pediatrician, not a therapist, but as a pediatrician is go err on the side of social right now, err on the side of connecting with people your own age, because you missed a lot of that. Um, Don't err on the side of making stupid decisions. Don't err on the side, right? Like that's not what I'm suggesting, but err on the side. If you're, if it's a coin toss between my parents are psyched to have dinner with me and I've been invited to hang out with this group of people that I know, but I don't know really well. And I'd like to get to know that to me is no contest. Go socialize and spread your wings and explain it to your parents and then come back afterwards and tell your parents about it and share with them who you got to know and what the experience was like and bring them into the fold that way, but go be the social animal that you're supposed to be because it will feel good. Mm -hmm. I think that's really helpful advice. I find that super helpful. Um, Just thinking about going off to college in a year. I still feel like I'm a sophomore in high school at heart because that's when I was last in person. And I was just wondering, do you think that's normal for teens to feel that way? Having been kind of pulled out of the process of individuating and then being thrown back into it, I feel like I'm behind. Yeah, totally, totally. And, and, you know, I I have a daughter who's your exact age and she's in the process of applying to college. And she has said to me very clearly on the one hand, it's really exciting to be applying to college. And on the other hand, I don't feel like I'm ready, but it's not that I don't feel like I'm old enough. I just, I haven't had high school, Mm -hmm. right? I haven't had high school. And, and yet you all know, And, you know, I think for the listening audience, it's really important to state the obvious. 
this not having had a year and a half of high school was the best case scenario. That was the gift to not, you know, there were so many hardships for so many people in this. And so no one's complaining about it. No one's saying like, oh, woe is me. I didn't get to go to high school for a year and a half. Everyone's got a really great attitude. It doesn't change the fact that you don't feel like you had it. Every coming of age movie is about a high school life you guys didn't have right? There were no huge parties and there was no drama. And I used to say to my, my kids during the pandemic, like during the, the peak of it, I would say, Come, give me some gossip, spill some tea. And they, they'd go about what? No one does anything. Like there's no tea to spill because no one. So <laughs> you have every right to feel that way. You guys will raise your own children having had the experience of being put on hold during very formative years, that's going to be a pretty remarkable thing. That's going to impact the way you raise your children. I don't know how, but it will. It was that big. It was Mm -hmm. really big. Yeah. And I really like the distinction you made. Like, I definitely don't feel like pity and sad and sorrow for myself. Like, how could I miss out on it? Like it happened and it, it was what it was. Um, then I still have a year of high school, but it's definitely like a weird, unsettling feeling like, huh, high school didn't really happen. And it's, you know, now it's time to move on. It's um, very odd. And I think for kids, I, I always think about chronically ill kids, right? I think for kids who are in the hospital, maybe they have a cancer diagnosis and they are in and out of the hospital getting chemotherapy and their life goes on hold for the same amount of time. And I think about, okay, the rest of the world is happening but their world has stopped. This was different. The whole world stopped. And I'm not comparing those two experiences because you can't say that one was better and one was worse. Actually, you can kind of say that one was worse, right? Um, Being chronically ill, I think wins the prize of being worse. But my point is you are all in it together. And when you go to college, and this is true for the kids who are freshmen and even sophomores now in college who the sophomores didn't really have a freshman year and the freshmen, you know, are came off of no senior year of high school. There's a little concern in the pediatric community that people are going to go, the, the pendulum is going to swing a little too far and that people are going to kind of go crazy because they have both total independence and they were locked up for so long. Um, they have what, Uh, my podcast co-host calls skin hunger, like, oh, I want to be in contact with people. And that drives um, not great decisions. So I think in many ways, the kids who are in high school now, the seniors and juniors, and even sophomores, um, they have the gift of reintegrating without too, too much independence. So their likelihood of making a poor decision is a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never thought of it that way. Like it's nice to be reintegrating, but also still somewhat connected to my home base and yep. boundaries of my parents. Like I, I can still make good decisions, but kind of get adjusted before I'm just kind of thrown out on my own. That's exactly and having right. to make those two adjustments at the same time. And the other thing I wanted to say was, you know, I'm starting to, I'm a junior, but I'm starting to think about college as well. And I feel like it's so easy to get wrapped up in the next step. And I'll be, I'll hear myself say things like I haven't had a high school experience and I feel like I've missed out on so much yet still I'm always, I'm looking ahead. So I feel like it's also important to take this time that we do have in high school and ground ourselves in it rather than just looking to college and what's next, because, you know, we are in high school right now and still a, 
an opportunity to have that high school experience. Yes, it may be shortened, but um, it, that is in it. key. It is a key point that you make, Lauren, that, you know, it's very hard to live in the moment and appreciate the moment. And you are articulating something that I hope everyone feels and takes advantage of, which is we're on a race to nowhere anyways. So let's hope that the pandemic did a good job of resetting some of our priorities, but it is, it is now everyone's kind of within everyone's control to do that. So the fact that you have recognized that, yeah, you're future oriented and you're looking ahead, but what you really want to do is slow down for a second and appreciate the moment and get off the treadmill, right. And just be, I hope all of your peers take that advice and reframe their lives in a similar way. It's, it's going to be, that will be such a success strategy for all of you. Mm -hmm. I am noticing that that's definitely a spirit I'm feeling more going back in person is that people want to be present. People want to be in high school. Um, And kind of an example I use is our football games pre-pandemic were not the biggest deal for better or for worse. They just kind of happened every weekend and some kids will come and now it's kind of become a thing. People want to go to football games, feel like they're going to a high school game and dressing up and cheering on the crowd. And that's been really nice. I feel like there is this sense of people wanting to be in high school. Um, Whereas before it was definitely focused, even as like a sophomore, on what's next, what's next, what's next. Um, And I think that's maybe a a gift we've gotten from this pandemic is learning to be where we are um, and just soak it all in for what it is. I think that's right. During the school week, I feel like I build up a lot of stamina that keeps me going and kind of meeting my day-to-day requirements, turning in homework, studying for tests, all of that. But during the weekend, it can feel difficult to maintain that motivation. And it's especially difficult when there's more time to socialize and I'm just feeling exhausted and kind of burnt out. So I was wondering how teens can allow space for rest and recovery during this time without school while also making sure not to slack off and fall behind. Yeah. Well, it requires a lot of executive function. And what that means is in order to find balance, what you have to be able to do at the beginning of a weekend, Friday, when school is done, is you have to be able to figure out how much do I have to accomplish for school this weekend? And how long is that going to take me realistically, which can be hard for some people to figure out because they might not be great planners in that way. So you have to figure that out. And then you have to figure out how much social time do I need to spend to feel full? What's going to work for me is going to the football game going to do it for me, or am I going to want to go to the football game and then go out to dinner with friends afterwards and connect with them and getting to know yourself in that way. And you all may not know yourself very well in that way, because it hasn't really presented as as something that you had to contend with for a year and a half, right? But getting to know yourself in that way and to figure out what's going to satisfy you and what's going to fill your cup is really important. And then there's the family piece, right? So some families have a weekend ritual where the whole family gets together, or, you know, there may be things that you're expected to do around the house. And that piece needs to be budgeted as well. And so I encourage people to actually take Friday afternoon and take a breath and kind of look at everything they need to do 
and come up with a schedule, like literally schedule yourself and go, I'm going to do my work for this amount of time. And then I'm going to build in a break and I'm really going to enjoy myself with my friends for this amount of time. It makes you more productive and more focused in the time that you save for your work. And it prioritizes having your relationships grow by carving out time for those relationships. It's not easy. It's not a skill that comes second nature to everyone. Um, And it's a skill that even if you think you're decent at now, you will get better and better and better at. It's not time management, although it kind of is. It's executive function. It's the ability to kind of pull the lens back, look at your own big picture and make some choices so that if next week you have some huge exam coming up, you can make the decision to do less socializing this weekend because you know next weekend you'll have more bandwidth for it. So you want to be able to hover over your own life from a far enough distance that you can make some smart decisions about how you spend your time. And then you'll feel fulfilled or you won't. And you'll go, that didn't work for me. I went to the football game. I didn't talk to anyone. I was so loud. I didn't connect with anyone. I wish I had gone to dinner with my friends after next time I'm going to go to dinner with my friends after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've definitely done this scheduling, taken the scheduling approach. And I've also been in the place where it's Sunday afternoon and I haven't figured out how I'm going to get all my work done. And I will say that's not the best feeling. And I feel like that can also kind of set the tone of the weekend or make it more stressful than it needs to be. Um, So I think just taking that time, like you said, to figure things out and make sure that you're checking all your boxes or most of your boxes or something like that, it it can be really helpful and relieve a lot of anxiety. Um, Well, you know, I'll add one thing because you bring up a really good point. We all, it doesn't matter how old we are, we all need to give ourselves permission to get it totally wrong. Mm-hmm. I thought this paper was going to take me two hours. It took me four. Oh, I screwed that one up. Okay. What do I have to adjust? If we're too rigid with ourselves and we don't give ourselves permission to have misbudgeted, then we run the risk of going down this rabbit hole of being self-punishing. Mm-hmm. And that is not helpful. So in life, right? You want to develop agility. You want to develop the ability to both see the things that need to get done and have enough flexibility that if they get done more quickly or if they take longer, you're good. And one of the keys to doing that is to communicate with the people around you because they're not mind readers. So here you are, you're two young women who have a podcast by definition you're good communicators. You like to talk, right? You have a podcast. Think about all the people out there who are not great communicators. And I don't want to gender it, but I'm going to gender it for a second, right? Guys your age, probably not quite as multisyllabic or verbal. They rely upon the people who love them to read their minds a little bit more, not the best communication strategy. So Give yourself permission to get it wrong and then try to figure out how to communicate to the people around you. Hey, I actually need this time to do this. I got it wrong, but next time I'll get it right. Um, That goes a long way. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that advice. I think that's kind of a key 
to everything right now with readjusting is we're going to get some stuff wrong. Um, and that's okay. We're, we're learning again how to be in this world um, where we're balancing all of this stuff and we're bound to not get it right. And I think just approaching that with compassion and right. kind of a drive to learn from it, I think is the way to go. Um, and the last thing I wanted to ask you is this is kind of a tradition on the podcast. We always end with this question. What are some self-care tools that you personally recommend practicing and that you enjoy yourself? Well, I have two and they're unique to me, but not so unique to me. One is exercise. So I am someone who anyone who knows me will tell you when I exercise, I am a better version of myself. (laughs) And when I don't exercise, I am less fun to be around. It's just who I am. It doesn't mean I don't need days when I take off. I do. And it doesn't mean I exercise for hours. I don't, I actually have very short little window, but if I don't move, I get grumpy. And so for me, one of my self-care strategies is to figure out each morning where I'm fitting in moving, because that's a game changer for me. The other one, which is relatively new for me, probably the last five years, but has been incredibly impactful is that I have learned to meditate and I had been reading about it and hearing about it for years. And I'd actually been teaching about it for years, but I was not doing it because I didn't have time. Mm -hmm. I'm really busy. I run a company. I've got two kids, uh, you know, life takes over. I didn't have 10 minutes to sit quietly with my thoughts. And the greatest thing that I ever did was learn to do that. And I, you know, have pushed my kids pretty hard to learn how to do it. Um, one of them has gotten into it. One has not sort of, (laughs) it's sort of par for the course in my house. That's how it goes. But the one who has, she's had to practice a lot. She's had to learn how to carve out the time and sit quietly because sometimes when you first start to meditate, you're sitting there with your eyes closed or using an app or however you're going to do it. And really what you're thinking about is all the stuff you're not doing right now. Cause you're meditating. And that is so normal in the first stages of meditation. And so if anyone out there has even thought about it or entertained the idea, I am going to give you a huge boost of encouragement don't do it alone. Find an app that will help you because there are amazing like Calm and Headspace. There are all these apps out there that do a fabulous job. There are also books. I have a really close friend named Malika Chopra. She writes books for kids about how to learn to meditate and deep breathe. It doesn't take more than a few minutes. It is a life skill that we know based upon the data works to improve mental health, but I can just tell you for me, oh, it is game. If, if exercising makes me not grumpy, meditation makes me happy. Mm. That's that. so nice. I love that too. Dr. Nadishan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I feel like uh, Cooper and I were actually chatting during this and we were saying that you have such a calming effect and you want to, you make us want to become pediatricians and it's just it's it's so um validating talking to you and I feel like I don't know I, I've taken all that you've said to heart so 
I hope that's the same for our listeners, but um, seriously, thank you for sharing your wisdom. And we really appreciate you dedicating time to talk with us. We know you're super busy, um, which also to any of our listeners who are parents, make sure to check out the Puberty podcast or the Puberty portal or both. Um, Great resources if you want to understand us teens. Um, So thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Thrive Podcast. We'll see you soon. With love, The Thrive Initiative.